0: Hey listeners, I'm Adam, and this is Can I Ask You a Question, a podcast where anyone is welcome to join me for an episode to share their thoughts on a topic of their choice. I'm looking forward to hearing new opinions and perspectives, and hopefully becoming a bit more open-minded along the way. If you're interested in joining me for a future episode, feel free to check out the sign-up link in this episode's description. All right, it's recording. Hey, Jawad, how's it going?
1: Yeah, Adam, I'm doing good. Yourself?
0: Good, Thanks. Thanks for thanks again for taking time to chat with me. Yeah. Appreciate it.
1: No worries. My pleasure.
0: Uh, is that right if we jump in? Let's do it. Cool. Thanks. Okay. So the question you picked uh, was what are the keys or what do you think are the keys to building a successful startup? I know you have some experience with mm-hmm. startups. Yeah. So we'll start off here. Just curious your perspective.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I chose it for... One particular reason, mainly because I've had a lot of, call it, unnecessary struggle and pulling my hair out on this question in my own limited journey as an entrepreneur. And secondly, it has also given me... So my journey so far, just so I can get everyone on the same page, is I've built my own company which lasted for four years. It it was a team of four. We built it. Our goal was to build a bootstrap company, wasn't a venture-backed one of those uh, media hyped companies was a normal small company. And then on the other side, afterwards for the past four years, more more recently I've been working at startups to see how they're built, right? So I've always had in my mind, like two sides of my mind. One is these like, you know, call it theories and best principles you learn in the book, or very much like Paul Graham style essays as to what are the best ways to start a startup or what are the key ingredients versus what you find in real life. This is how I built my company versus how, you know, when I go into other people who built their companies and compare that to the theory, right? So it's like, if I had to, you know, paint two worlds, it's like the theoretical world versus what happens in real life, right? And they're not always, I mean, there might be overlapping like a Venn diagram, but they're not always the same, right? So if I'm to like start with my theory or my thesis as to like, what are the principles of, the best way to start a startup, and yeah. I know this is going to probably take, uh, probably not what you know listeners or even you're expecting, as I fundamentally think that is like, a, that's a misled question, because there is no particular silver bullet okay. to start a startup. What I do think is that, you know, there are, there are good guidelines for you to start a startup. For example, you know, we've all heard how Slack started, right? Um, you know, you can be building a tool with a team of good founders, but eventually you realize that the main product you had wasn't that fitting, but this other product you had, you can kind of take it to the market. I actually don't know the story of Slack.
0: What, what, what's the summary?
1: Yeah, so I, I won't try to be the expert, but all I do know is that they raised a bunch of money from their investors for the primary product that they have. Okay. That product I'm not too familiar with, but essentially that product didn't scale or they didn't it didn't go to the market. But while building that company, what they had done is they had built an internal tool. Think about like, you know, a chat, just Slack <laughs> now to communicate with each other. It's like, if, imagine if you and I were co-founders, we're like, hey man, I did this, you did this. Okay, just keep each other on the same page so we can build our main startup more actively, right? So the thing is, you know, if you just take that example, you know, most theories or most books you know, won't necessarily have a formula for us to build that kind of Slack company. Yes, some principles will go along the lines that, you know, make sure you have a good team, make sure you're doing something. But at the end of the day, there's like no silver bullet that you can be like, you know what, if I have this 20 checklist, I can be sure that I can do a really good startup. Right. So what I encourage everyone to do is always keep in mind the best principles. So for example, let's say a I'm not going to say any names, but, you know, we've all always... One good example is whenever you're an undergrad and the teacher puts you in, like, a a study group and there's one person or two people who don't pull their weight, right? But if there's one super smart person, you still end up getting an A in the assignment or you end up doing good, right? So, you know, but the thing is, in startup, it's it's similar to that, right? You may not find the right formula. You may not have the right founders. You may not have the right market. But if you have just some of those principles, right, you might just end up doing okay. Now, what's more troubling is you don't know which one it is. You might not have the good founder. You might not have the good market. There's a stroke of luck. There's a stroke of all of those kind of, you know, various ingredients, right? So the best way I've kind of, you know, come into terms with this concept of how to best build a startup or how to best tackle it is be aware of all the best principles, but don't aim for perfection in any of those. Just get started. I know it sounds very uh, scrappy. Just get started. If you don't have today, if you don't have a good co-founder or team, if you don't have a good idea, figure them out along the way instead of you know waiting five, ten years and be like, you know what, I haven't come across a good idea. I haven't come across a good co-founder. I haven't found my passion. I haven't found, in other words, all of these checklist items that I've gone from various um, thought leaders. I haven't gotten them. So I shouldn't get started. So the goal would be know all the principles, but then get started with some of them. And eventually things should come together.
0: Yeah. Funny you say that. Just before this, I yeah. was talking to a friend at work and I was telling him I was going to do a, uh, an episode on this. Yeah. And I asked him if he had any questions he would like want to ask. Yeah. And the one he said was, how do you think about... Um, when to like stop researching and thinking about an idea you want to do and actually deciding to go for it. So that's kind of what you were just, your advice was go for it. Yeah. But how, how have you thought about an idea comes to pops into mind? Mm -hmm. How do you know if, if it's worth testing and building something?
1: Yeah. I think uh, one of the things that get overlooked is what, When the idea comes to mind, the most valuable thing at that point in time is not necessarily the idea, but how much time you're spending on that idea, right? So for example, I've been guilty of this too. You have this idea and in in pursuit of perfection or in in pursuit of like, you know what, I need a month to explore this. You sit on that idea for five months, right? So the real cost of this is actually you've spent five months, which you're never going to get back on this one idea, right? but this idea hasn't seen the day of flight or hasn't seen anyone else, right? right? So I think the number one principle that I like to keep in mind is whenever you have an idea, the biggest cost is how long are you not doing anything with that idea, right? So when you have that in your mind, then what you start doing very proactively is you realize as soon as I have an idea, I need some kind of validation for it, right? So now to be a little more pragmatic, this could be as simple as if I have an app idea and I need to talk to a potential customer, Even if it's simple as like hand drawn drawings, have I done that, right? Have I done anything to give me to increase my chances of taking that leap of faith? Call it building that first prototype, right? So, the to answer your question, like you know, we you will probably never have that one hundred percent because then it wouldn't be a startup. Like it's like if everyone knew how to, you know, if if it wasn't a combination of pragmatic uh, building and a leap of faith, then everyone would be doing it. Right? It's like risk would be zero and everyone would be doing it. So the real thing to keep in mind is your biggest cost is your time. And then take that pragmatic next step to get little bit of validation. This could be as simple as drawing it on a napkin, calling up a friend, or just in your mind, think about when you have an idea, it's at 0% in terms of its success. If you talk to one person, it might go to 2%. It might go to 3%. So get that as high as you want, but of course don't aim for hundred percent because that's possibly never going to happen. And then take that leap of faith of the next step. And even at this point, I think a lot of people get nervous and they're like, "Oh, I'm going to have a build build a full fledged prototype or something like that." There's enough resources out there for them to know how to do it in a, like a baby step prototype fashion. Yeah. You mentioned
0: just telling a friend about it, it brings you closer to success. Yeah. What are your thoughts on how, the mindset of Sharing the idea with people and the f- the fear around it being stolen. yeah um, what are your what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, my thoughts, uh, particularly to the idea of if it's like if it let's say if it's like a software idea or some, anything to do with a software app i'm I'm of the total belief that it should be an open book and your biggest fear should be, out execution rather than copying right there's going to be your
0: own execution
1: yes your own execution or even let's say if you share it with others and you know if others are going to copy it like they can put up a domain name they can do the app but the thing is if your own execution is on track sooner or later they will they will probably not follow along and execution like the fuel to that execution is really your own i don't want to use this word because it's you get used get misused a lot is your own passion behind it, right? How much are you how enthusiastic are you about building that? Yeah. So
0: would you say as a general guideline is your view that the potential benefits of sharing the idea and getting feedback from people on it Mm -hmm. outweighs the potential risk of someone stealing an idea. And you're saying it might depend on exactly what you're building, how easy it is to copy, but as a general rule you you side on, like, sharing it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah,
1: I agree. The reason I say as a general rule is because I, I'm not, let's say I'm not very technically advanced to know, let's say, some patented protected ideas, for example. I, the other day I was watching the documentary on how the TV was invented and, like, the whole legal and patent war- wars there. You know, there's some category of products that might be, you know what, it's not right to share it, but maybe share it under ND or something. But in my in my world of software startups where it's nothing proprietary as much, even though every, every software company claims there's proprietary stuff, there's no harm. It's probably you're doing more harm hiding it than sharing it, yeah.
0: Cool. Yeah. Um, a couple questions going back to what you said at the beginning when you were answering the first question around keys to building a successful startup. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I think you said was something around you felt you made like unnecessary, um, like mistakes or yeah. decisions. So the question around that is like, when I heard you say that, I thought, isn't that just part of? Isn't that what like mm-hmm. trying to build something is? Is that yeah. you're going to make mistakes? Yeah. So like, your thoughts on that, and then the second one that I found interesting was you said a lot of the stuff that you've read mm-hmm. about keys to building a successful startup don't always match up with your own experience. Yeah. So what are like some of the differences? That you've seen between what is like maybe given as advice and your own experience
1: yeah I think the first comment you your um, you you're on spot it's part of the process to make those mistakes and realize those but um in 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 retrospect, I think there is a fine it's a bit of a it's a bit of an art that it's a fine balance between how many mistakes you make, so for example I can keep making the same mistakes over and over again this could be as simple as how long let's just take one specific example let's say the day i get an idea i spend four months building a powerpoint presentation on it right if i did that about my first idea and realized i took too long to get it out the door and get the feedback that's okay to make it the first time around but eventually as an entrepreneur or as anyone who's wanting to build things you should try not to repeat the same mistakes right so to on on that point, I agree. In the beginning, I made those mistakes, but a part of like learnings for me and for others is to make sure that they have done enough reflection. For me, it comes as a as a way of the journaling and reflecting, and sometimes blogging to make sure that I train my mind to not fall into that trap. Because unfor- as as most entrepreneurs know that mostly a lot of the mistakes we make are these cognitive biases, such as. You know, being insecure or feeling like aiming for perfection or feeling like you know you need more time—they're all a good chunk of them are mental biases rather than pragmatic reasons, right? Interesting. So, for that reason, I would say those mistakes are part of the process. I made them as well, but I'm always trying to eliminate these biases, which are subconsciously call it put into your process when you're an entrepreneur or founder. Um, And you're sorry.
0: Are you so? Yeah. I hadn't really thought about it that way before, but are are you saying that some of the keys you think to a successful startup are maybe just overcoming mental... um, I don't know what the word is, but you were saying like... Like biases and these are essential... essentially insecurities and and difficulties with like learning to build persistence and learning to be optimistic and not get discouraged, stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and I think one good example that sticks in my head is like we're all trained even our parents we're always trained to do things that are that have a a high rate of success right think about the reason our parents want us to get jobs or work nine to five all of them is not because they want us to do a job because they want us to have a high probability of earning an income right so everything as we go through school and go through jobs it trains us to do things that are proven and accepted by society. When you do a startup, you are very much on the other side. You have to convince others. You have to become a broken record. So a lot of the times you you end up taking all the, call it, cognitive and social pressure of internalizing, hey, now how do I deal with a world that is somewhat opposite direction of how everyone else takes their life, right? In other words, a risk-averse and a proven way of growing through life. Both are okay, I'm not saying. I think both worlds are okay, but they require a different mindset, yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, and then the second question around, like, differences that you've noticed between, yeah. like, you mentioned Paul Graham, and, or just any advice yes. you get
1: in your own experiences. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the, the, those differences will always remain, because thankfully, and rightfully so, I'm a big fan of even all the theorists, or call it PhDs, or academia people who write stuff on entrepreneurship and might have had some field, ex- field experience too versus there are some people that may have probably never even went to business school but have built companies, right? So the thing is there's there will always be that gap. To the people who are academia people will try to give you best principles and the people who are trying to build companies, they will build the companies. So I think a smarter person or a person who is eventually trying to get closer to uh being, uh, being mature about thinking about entrepreneurship will always realize that I cannot go for that book, who's like, hey, step by step process to make your startup in 30 days, right? And versus, I can't either go with this one example of how Slack got invented, because I can't expect myself to secretly build a tool that will all of a sudden be my main tool, right? So a smart person, unfortunately, has to take that, take the responsibility of like, you know, connecting the dots and be like, okay. This is what they're saying, but this is not reality academia-wise either. This is one of the case. Let me find out what's the middle ground. Maybe my story will be totally different, but at least I know both sides of the table. So in that case, they just have to know that they cannot get, to be explicit, they cannot get seduced by either stories, right? Because one way you have these academia people, again, telling you these, uh, you know, this bullet for success, and on the other side you... Look at this one story and be like you know what only because this guy quit and worked for 20 you know 10 years and then finally he got acquired for 600 million dollars i should do that that's probably not the right approach right the thing is you need to understand that those are just stories and maybe uh, you know outlier cases you need to figure out what's unique and what what makes sense for you it's more work because no one they're they're not going to write a book about let's say a person living in Toronto whose parents have this background or, you know, who went to this school and who can, you know, who has these kind of, like, uh, co-workers, they're never going to be able to uniquely carve out an opportunity for you because you're just one person, right? So, essentially, try to understand the bigger picture behind these two two chicken-and-egg problems, what academia people tell you and what company stories are out there, and then you will not essentially get... uh, get distracted by either or yeah something i've always find like found
0: challenging was uh deciding between continuing to work on a project Hmm. and persist versus uh moving on from it yeah um and i've heard mixed advice in in books and stuff like that so like Sometimes in some books and some stuff I've whatever read or seen, uh, the view is a good startup, you'll have early indications quickly that it's good. You'll get uh, good feedback uh, initially. I think Instagram might be an example. I was listening to a podcast about Instagram, Mm -hmm. and I think they had, don't quote me, but 10,000 users or something ridiculous within the first 24 hours of being on the App Store. Yeah. And then you have opposite stories of Airbnb, which I think it took them three years to get any real traction. Exactly, yeah. So, curious your thoughts on, like, how do you determine if it makes sense to move on or or persist? And, like, how have you thought about it?
1: Yeah. I think the case that's very easy is if you're building a startup that is not helping you accomplish what your goal is and this could be different I know this is vague but let's say you were building let's say you're a person who is 100% relying on your business for all of your income let's say you're a fresh grad you have debt and you have uh, to pay a little bit of expenses which was actually my case with my startup out of school then uh, you need to build a startup but you also need to have some pragmatic goals because uh, the startup's life is, is is essentially the life of the founder. If you cannot sustain your life, at some point in time, you will shut down the startup and it's not going to work. So the point I'm trying to get at is um, the way you can really decide how to continue and not to continue really depends on what personal situation you are in because you will find a startup, as you said, the examples you give, which took them long, some, t- some are very quick, um, but at the end of the day, you know, They both had different. There were different opinions by academia people as to how they should have done it. And the second good example, I think, I I, this is one of the few companies that I've seen out there, Craigslist, and his the founder of Craigslist is one of those people that have let's say stuck to their values very hard ever since even the company has grown. And we all know that Airbnb kind of like you know grew off of Craigslist, and Craigslist was like unofficially the Airbnb before that. And one of the things that um, uh, the founder said, again, I think uh, people should go and read his uh, literature and media more so than my paraphrasing of his, is at some point in time, you have to have your own values as to why you're building a company. There, I know a lot of people fall into the trap that it has to be a VC backed or it has to be growing 100% over a year or 200% or whatever these VC metrics are. Unfortunately, none of them are true, Right. You can even have a non-for-profit startup, right? You can even do Khan Academy. As long as it's allowing you to live comfortably, And if you're relying on it to live comfortably, there's no rule book for you to start or stop working on it. Again, the startups that, let's say, never see light of day or are not even helping you go towards your goal, they're a different category. But let's say you built a company that's you know, $10,000 a year, $1 million a year, or even is all run by donation money. There is no rule book to say you should stop or start working on it. Um, I think most people at some point in time fall into this, uh, uh, call it um, grass is greener on the other side uh, uh, approach that, you know what, I don't think this company or this idea is good enough. Let me shut it down and let me try to do something else. Again, those are right or wrong too. But I think at some point in time, someone needs to take a more... um, you know, the harder step of being like, what are my goals behind this startup? I want to just, you know, what do I want to do? And then I will decide if I need to shut it down or not, right? Otherwise, you will always keep chasing external success factors and you will be not happy with what you're doing.
0: Yeah. I like that answer. Yeah. So you're saying, in summary, like, be clear on what your personal goal is yeah. and use that as a guideline. Are you reaching that goal? Yeah. If you are, keep going. If yeah. you're not... To consider moving on. Yeah, it makes sense. One one thing, you, so you said towards the end, like, gra- you might think, like, grass is always greener. Yeah. Um, one thought around that is oftentimes, at least for me, like, working a corporate job, mm-hmm. grass is always greener, looking at, oh, how cool would it be to run my own startup? Yeah. But then... Mm-hmm. I think even if I had a successful startup, there are things, there are definitely benefits of a corporate job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how do you think about the pros and cons of, I guess, um, running your own company versus mm-hmm. working for someone else's company?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I, I think uh, one of the, you know, um, I've had the, thankfully over having spent all these years with like, entrepreneurs i've i've met two kind of entrepreneurs one entrepreneurs are i call them these are these are call it early stage or they're really discovering themselves an entrepreneur I i would define them as that they're usually the ones who are like you know what i don't want to work for a big company i want to be my own boss i don't want to like you know i'm too smart to work at a big company right what versus the people that i've seen who are more mature and have actually seen success are people who see work regardless of if it's a day job or even if it's entrepreneurship, they view work as their fulfilling calling, right? In other words, if I'm working for a big company, if I'm working a day job, it's not much different because I'm serving or I'm contributing my skill set in my day job as as well as I'm doing the same thing in my startup and entrepreneurship. Because that view of work will keep you as an entrepreneur, much longer as compared to the other view where you're like, hey, I want to be my own boss. I don't want to work for someone else. Because sooner or later, you will realize that working for yourself was actually less glorious for like first four or five. And if you want to go with like the majority cases, 90% of the time, and then you'll be like, oh, bummer. All my friends are working at these good companies. Now I want to go work there and that's more glorious, right? So the way I would say it is like, you know, people who are Uh, people who are want to be entrepreneurs or in my mind i call these people who just want to add value to society like if i can you know summarize one thing in this podcast is like entrepreneurs are sometimes misled as people who are trying to like you know break away from the society and do something on their own
0: or just make money yeah yeah that might might be the view but you're saying it's about adding value to society yeah helping people exactly
1: the, the one lesson that I think, you know, I'm a, I read history every now and then. The one thing that has been very eye-opening for me and I keep reminding myself is like for like, you know, centuries and millennials, like the thing is entrepreneurs have always been local, small people. Right. In other words, globalization, Internet, this only happened recently. Right. So think about like every village, every little community. They always had one person who was maybe like the guy who built, a, you know, the tailor. The guy who sold butter or the person or any other gender as well, like the way they kind of did trade there as well, right? So the thing is, only recently, unfortunately, we've gone these like Zuckerberg, Bill Gates and, you know, um, Larry Ellison's of the world, which just put, give us all, we'll call it normal entrepreneurs, like insecurity or like, you know, <laughs> we just feel bad that we can't be as big and successful as those, whereas... Human civilization has benefited from small contributors much more than these call it you know goliaths and big rich entrepreneur poster child of today. interesting So keep that in mind when you build something because the thing is you're building something at least in my in my mind I'm building something to contribute and add value. Maybe if I'm lucky I'll get to like you know Bill Gates or other people's stage, but even if I don't, I will just do it at a small scale possible my like you know it's like the journey I care about the journey not necessarily the destination whereas a lot of people a lot of entrepreneurs you know get depression or get insecurity again because they're focused on the destination they're like oh man I'm working hard I need to get to my I need to raise VC round. I need to do this I need to do that and as soon as they start doing that they forget what they started for which is do work and you know contribute value to other people
0: yeah yeah I like that perspective and yeah. I hadn't ever really thought about what you were saying about yeah. throughout history. Yeah. Most entrepreneurs have just been helping their local village or yeah. their family exactly. with some kind of small creation. Yeah, And thinking about it, the funny thing is having that mindset might actually set you up better to end up being like a Bill Gates if that's what you aspire to. Of course. But yeah, interesting. Um, another question I had was your thoughts on... Um, when it makes sense to work on a idea or startup, startup idea you have full-time versus on the side while working um, for a company. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether you think one makes more sense than the other most of the time, whether it depends um, how you've personally thought about
1: that. Yeah. I think think I'm qualified to probably give an opinion on people who are trying to build software products. I know hardware products or others might require a very different kind of dedication that even though the prototype might not be ready, you just need to just do full-time engineering or anything along those lines. So if I'm to if I'm to comment on that, I think the best approach again is let me just lay it on the table so we have all the options. I've seen people who have explicitly quit their job without any idea And then be like, you know what, I'm going to hunt for an idea and I'm going to build it and do it. And in fact, you know, I know a very good friend of mine who did that from high school and they're based out of Toronto too. And they've built their company that way, right? Then at i I've seen people who are like, you know what, passively I'm going to explore an idea. And then right when I get to, you know, a thousand dollars in revenue, that's when I'm going to quit and do it, right? So what I would personally say that unfortunately there's no silver bullet there, but the leading principle that I've found is that you should try to emulate is follow your gut as to when you feel like, you know what, I have had enough experience, I've had enough uh, call it uh, fire for this idea that if I pursue it, um, not that I want to run away from the job. What I want to do is I want to make sure that I can bring that value or contribute that value to society. That should be your motivating goal. If, if you have any other, in other words, if you sniff any other factors such as, you know what, I'm not happy with my job, I don't like my boss, or you know what, I'm going to switch jobs, or they're not paying me enough, if any of those are factors between you switching into like full-time entrepreneurship, they're, in my opinion, or in my experience too, they won't set you up for success because you will make a decision for, again, for your selfishness and then not for the, you know, open, like, oh, not for the... Oh, like a bigger goal of contributing to someone else
0: yeah uh like yeah. quick funny personal story around yeah. this so um i when i left my first job out of school like i quit it to work on a startup yeah and i did it because i thought um it would give me the motivation like more motivation and more pressure and light a fire under me to really go for it yeah. fully yeah. if i didn't have the job versus if i was working on the side maybe i didn't have the motivation
1: yeah. and
0: then i think it was like the first week or two after i had quit i was listening to an audiobook i'm pretty sure it was originals by adam grant yeah i heard of it and um he's talking exactly about like as a entrepreneur if you should like what the evidence suggests on whether you should do it on this side yeah. or or uh quit and he was saying the evidence shows that you're more likely to be successful if you do it on the side because Mm. and he was just saying that it's because people who tend to do it on the side are more calculated like they're just generally smarter and 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 less uh less risk seeking Mm -hmm. but I I was like gosh did I make the wrong decision but yeah I found it interesting they gave the example I think of Warby Parker oh I see um I don't yeah. exactly remember the story, but yeah. they they decided not to um, not to like drop out of school or whatever yeah. until they had they were like fi- financially sustainable, I guess, from their startup.
1: Interesting, yeah.
0: But I guess you have different you have different views. And maybe to your point, there's no yes. silver bullet with any of these questions. Yeah. Thinking about Airbnb now, like yeah. I, I think their story is like one of them moved to the others and just was crashing on their yeah. couch. And... Yeah, yeah
1: yeah and I think, uh, yeah, for example, even Adam Grant, like again, uh, his research would might be, one thing I've realized is, you know, there are always, research is, is always, the devil is always in the details, right? So for example, again, I, I will review his work afterwards, but sure. let's say, you know, the reason why you're more successful to do a startup part-time while working full-time is because a full-time job gave you the exposure to the idea. So let's think about it this way. Let's say you were working in the transportation industry and then you got the idea of something uber equivalent because you were like, you know what, I see this problem on a day-to-day basis. Let me try to do something on the side. And even when you quit or when you go full-time, you still have the connections and you still have the experience and you still have the exposure from your day jobs, right? So there is some... Synergy, in other words, from your full-time job and part-time job, that might also be a contribution factor. That's a good
0: point. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Think about it now. Like a couple YC startups, uh, Queens grads, yeah. actually recently. I guess I think his name's Matt Reeves. I didn't know him well, but rings he, a bell, He worked yeah. at BCG, I believe, and okay. they recently got into YC, um, and their startup came out of. Him working at BCG, he yeah. he found that I think the what I heard was he found that the mentorship was like could be improved, and he yeah. built like a mentorship platform. Yeah, and then Chris Grushy, who was in my year at Commerce, um, I can't rem- remember exactly what his startup is, but he also is got into YC and he worked at Shopify. I
1: was going to say it was a Shopify-related, something? Convictional or something, yeah.
0: but it's, I'm pretty sure yeah. it's related to. Yeah um payments for wholesaler anyways yeah but yeah that's a interesting perspective yeah how are you for for time you're good okay um i'm gonna see if i had any other questions i i I was writing down some (laughs) just jotting them down at work um what do i have here so maybe maybe let me read out a few questions and you tell me if any of these you want to talk about does that that sound good
1: yeah or i want you i want this to be like you know in other words what i liked is a lot of our your questions were organic so be organic don't just ask what you want to ask
0: well these were all questions i wanted to ask uh i'm just uh we probably don't have time for all of them so i was going to ask you these and then tell me which of these you want to talk about so How have your views on on entrepreneurship and success, building successful startups changed over time with your experience? Mm -hmm. Do you think failure is a prerequisite to success? Uh, How do you personally define success in the context of the startup? I guess you talked about that a bit. You alluded to it when you said it's about adding value to society. Mm -hmm. Um, What resources have you found helpful that you'd recommend to others? Any big misconceptions you feel most people have around startup success? Uh, how important do you think it is that the startup you're working on solves a problem you personally have versus mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily? Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on actively brainstorming startup ideas versus letting them arise naturally? Mm-hmm. Um, those are a few. Any of those jump out as I know you could probably share your view
1: on any of them, but yeah, I think the ideas one is interesting because I think usually, in other words, should it be a personal problem or should you actively ideate or should you do those things? We can talk about that. That would be an interesting. One, sure. So yeah, what are your views on
0: like sitting down and trying to brainstorm problems or ideas versus? Yeah, uh, I've heard some stories about entrepreneurs not even intending. To start something, yeah, maybe they were just they solved a problem for themselves, like a hack or whatever, yeah, and then their friend said, "Oh, can you help me with this too and then it kind of just grew organically from there, so curious, yeah. your view
1: yeah, I think um I think if you're a solo founder and let's say individual founder or even if you're a team of two, in the beginning, what really helps is if you have that mutual call it itch or spark about an idea because then it just brings you and the team, let's say if you were individual, even it gets you excited and as a team it gets you excited to pursue that idea um, and why that's important in the, in the beginning, the reason I say is, is in the beginning nothing is pragmatic, right? You have decided that you want to solve how restaurants do you know, reservations and you uh, had a really bad experience personally. The thing is that that is enough to maybe get you to explore that idea a little deeper. Now, I know people, very smart people, and there's some very, again, academia literature out there, such as the Lean Startup and Business Model Canvas and a few other out there that that have quoted the term problem interviews where you actively go and talk to people and be like, hey, this is your profession, you know, what kind of things do you do on a day-to-day basis? Let me map out your job stories or user stories and, and things along those lines. I think those are valid approaches as well. Um, What I do find personally, though, is that younger, call it, you know, first-time entrepreneurs usually go with their itch because that's their first starting idea. And then, you know, later call it, you know, I call them more uh, realistic or more pragmatic people as they get later on in, in their life. They realize that maybe what they need to choose is an industry and a vertical. And then they search for a problem that might be something that can address and then they eventually address it so I think it's a combination of both depending on where you are in your uh, uh, scale and lifestyle again something to ignore is you know again you shouldn't work on an idea if you haven't convinced yourself of as to like you know why you're working on it because I think it's okay to work on an idea even if you don't don't believe in the idea and your goal is to let's say uh, learn the skill of if you're a developer learn the skill of developing like, you know, early stage startup product, right? Again, I don't believe on the idea yet, but my goal is to learn the skill and maybe eventually I will believe on the idea because I think it's a bit of a slippery slope when you're like, you know what, I have to believe in the idea. Then you've, again, I think it's, it goes back to the original question. You're focusing on the outcome and not the journey. So try to focus on what your goal is and regardless of how the idea comes, like, you know, you can you can try to make sense of it, yeah. Any
0: Any other... Questions from here jump out? Oh, one, I didn't ask this one, but um, I don't know if you have thoughts on the opposing business models, I'd say, in some of the big startups today mm. of free for customers, but charge for data yeah. versus charge the customer directly. Um, do you do you think one is better than the other? Uh, like, would you... Would you like tend to gravitate towards one more than the other?
1: Yeah. So, from so the issue is one one unique thing that happened accidentally when the internet, call it, um, was invented, and thankfully the founder of it made it quote unquote free. So all you really needed was an internet internet service provider, and then you could kind of access it for free quote unquote. Uh, what happened ended up happening is then it was a whole influx of a lot of different content and different stuff out there. and they had thought about monetization second, right For example, think about it this way. when you try to build something or sell someone something, sell you think about monetization at the same time, right? So what I've I've seen in the industry as Internet starts maturing, almost everyone has access to smartphones and a good chunk of the world population. Again, I don't know exactly how much, but it's in billions and if not, I think three billion. But again, don't quote me on it. They have access to Internet. Now the problem has become, okay. there's no shortages of eyeballs. There's no shortages of that advertising revenue. And those have unfortunately not panned down well well for a lot of companies that's why we see new york times all the big media companies slowly moving towards premium model and charging you for it and the reason they're doing it is because thankfully everyone's income is going up as well so if they pay a $1 dollar or 100 rupees in india it's it's possible now as compared to maybe 10 15 years ago when a people weren't technologies weren't there to do payment processing online and b people weren't You know, people didn't see the value of internet in their lives other than for maybe, you know, MSN chats or really old ways of communicating with one another. So I think the ideal world of the internet would be just the ideal world of, like, offline commerce. You don't go into a marketplace and expect to get things for free. You almost pay something for almost everything. And I think internet will be very much going into that direction. There will be some really good... You know bodies like Wikipedia and others who will try to keep things free and that's their motto but they will at the end of the day you have to understand they will still be funded by our money right so we will go there will be consolidation and there will be people who will be moving away from freemium eventually in the long term there will always be smaller startups or smaller website that will still monetize through ads but I think the internet is more suited towards a normal commerce with uh, like In in other words, right now it's majority ads and like minority premium paid stuff. It's going to be, let's say if I had to take a guess, it's like 60, it's probably like 75, 25, 75 ads and 25, like, you know, you get paid access. It's going to be a lot even balance eventually later down the road because more and more people will be able to pay. Companies will pivot their business models. You know, ad revenues are not going to pan well for a lot of product manufacturers and they will eventually figure out what's the right balance there. And there's, there seems
0: to be more and more scrutiny on platforms that are monetizing data,
1: like Facebook and Google. Yeah.
0: So I agree with you that it makes sense that it'll shift more towards pay directly for it.
1: Yeah. And good point. I haven't even touched on the whole... We haven't even touched on the whole aspect of like, you know, privacy and monetizing on data, and how much should you monetize on data? I think that's a whole big conversation. Yeah. You can leave that out. <laughs> yeah. Up. yeah. yeah.
0: Um, unrelated. So... I was chatting with a friend last week. He had an idea for something he wanted to work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, and I was trying to give feedback. One of the early questions I asked him was, have you seen if anyone else is doing this? Hmm. Uh, and I find that's a common thing I've personally done in the past is I think yeah. of an idea and I try to see, did I, has anyone else tried this? Yeah. I found his response interesting. It was the first time I'd heard it from someone. He said, I don't want to look to see if anyone else has done it yeah, because it I don't want to get discouraged by it which I thought was like valid and interesting I'd never taken that approach but thinking about it more I've had instances in the past where I got excited about an idea and then when I did research I thought oh someone's already doing this me too or I saw a bunch of failed ones and said oh this isn't gonna work yeah um but I, I thought his his mindset was interesting yeah um because if you have an idea for something um, like there's definitely not a huge huge player or you would have known about it so even yeah. if someone else is doing it successfully maybe it's yeah. somewhere else in the world yeah. anyways what are what are your views views on that have you generally taken the approach of immediately looking to see what others are doing
1: yeah and i think uh i yeah when you were saying it i resonated with too you know when you look at it you just in other words you you view that as you're like you know like your notice of like disease like you know this like in other words close your business down there's someone out already in town you don't even need to do anything right um but i think in a eventually what i've you know gravitated towards for example you know i'm sure when google came out with google yahoo was there and they were like you know why are we doing this there's always a competing product out there but i think the bigger question to realize again i think as we mentioned is what is my unique way of building this and what is my execution? For example, there's, you know, uh, one Canadian business that comes to mind. Wealth Simple started like four years or I think a few years after like Wealthfront in U.S., which is somewhat of a very similar business model. But the thing is, you know, again, that founder vision was that, you know, based in Canada, we have our own regulation, we can serve our own customers. And thankfully, unfortunately, unfortunately the Canadian is not... Canada is not an expansion country for many startups. They either go to Europe directly. Canada is not that big enough. So in other words, it just left a ground for people to build that company. And uh, what I'm trying to say is like if there's an idea out there, there might be more pros that you can take away from it than cons. So evaluate it carefully. Um, In some cases, you might realize, okay, this person has full-on Distribution. He's available, or that person is available everywhere. Otherwise, you might realize, you know what? I can out execute this person and maybe build it for myself. Actually, a good example that comes to mind is like you know when Uber is famous for that. When Uber started, like they like they knew they were like they weren't going to be leader in every marketplace, right? And in Pakistan, which is like you know my hometown, there was a group of entrepreneurs that just replicated that model for the Pakistani. Uh, uh call it uh, geography and local and all the language and currency and everything and they built that over five years and you know what to i think less than a year ago they got acquired by roughly between two to three billion dollars by uber and eventually you know if i was them i could have backed then, like i think it was seven years ago or six years ago i could be like oh man uber's already on the on the radar i should not build it but these people these two entrepreneurs they're like you know what uber's on the radar but they're not going to be going global domination. I'm going to go build it for this country. And then eventually maybe I'll get acquired. Or even if I don't get acquired, I have this idea of really working for my country or my space or my geography. Right. So I think there's, um, and you know, Winklevoss twins, which are the Facebook twins, they're like known for essentially copying business models. Hopefully they won't come after me after this <laughs> podcast, but like they're known to do that. So there, I think there's more pros than cons, but, uh, I totally resonate with that first impression, oh man, I'm not the original idea owner or something. But right. I think there's more pros. It's like, you know, how do they say it? Uh, one investor, I remember he said is if, if you and your pitch say that there's no competitors out there, that's more worrisome for an investor than to say, you know what, there's so many competitors out there, there's like even Facebook competing in this space because it gives market validation that something is there, right? There's, a, there's two reasons if a problem is not solved. It's either there was nothing to be solved, or you're super smart, genius guy or person that have come up with this idea. The thing is, very few people want to take the risk that you're this super, 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 you know, awesome, smart, genius person who came up with this idea. Most of the time, it's that. There was nothing there. yeah
0: Right. Um... Do you want to, do you want to start to wrap it up? Do you want to, I know I've listed some of those questions yeah. earlier. Yeah.
1: Do
0: you have a preference?
1: It's up to you, man. I'm good for, I think another, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And okay. Depending on how you want to do it, I'll let, you t- I'll let you do it. Yeah.
0: Okay. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'll ask, um, any specific resources yeah. that you found helpful that you usually recommend or you have shared
1: with people, friends in the past? Yeah, um, it's a combination of two and I wish I someone had told me this earlier but again, this is one of the mistakes I'm glad I made and reflected on and I'm still trying to get better with. Number one, there's no shortages of like an academia and framework for entrepreneurs to follow but I think where they trip over themselves including myself in the past is when when you don't know how to properly apply or at what time you should follow the framework and what time you shouldn't. So let's, let's take like, you know, for example, a really good one that I encourage anyone to start off when they have a napkin idea is just throw something within 15, 20 minutes on a business model canvas or a lean canvas, right? Uh, this just allows you to, you know, break down your idea in its different compartments. So you can start to see not only what the pain point is, what my solution could look like, what my customer is, how am I gonna drive revenue, what are my costs, right? Um, so in other words if I'm to like you know rapid fire list some things those are just you know lean canvas business model canvas to kind of get you things out on the out on the napkin just very highly laid out and then depending on you know let's say if you want to do interviews you know uh, get the idea validated or even get clarity on the problem there's a lot more specific call it frameworks and things out there sorry
0: the the business canvas and lean canvas that you reference are those like frameworks that you would search on on google
1: yeah yeah they're okay. i think they're open they're at least the the yeah at least the books are yeah, the frameworks are open source but yeah. are those like names of books or no these are just frameworks these are frameworks and there are books on it too okay yeah uh, lean uh, lean model canvas is, is business model canvas is the original one by steve blank i believe okay it is a book and then i've yeah. heard of the lean startup yes the lean startup is similar yeah, yeah. Uh, Lean startup is similar, uh, but Lean Canvas I think is still. I think they're all a group of like very close friends, and they keep publishing these things. They're all, you know, based out of down south in in the valley. So, um, but in a nutshell, those frameworks are very closely related to each other, and they should be a good starting point. Um, but I think where where I have made mistakes, and I wanted to highlight, is like these frameworks are not. In other words, if you had an idea this morning. It should probably take you 15, 20 minutes to, like, jot it down there. A lot of people, again, sit on that canvas for, like, three weeks. Oh, okay, you know what? Who are really my customers? What really is the pain point? The goal is to just jot that down and just quickly go through it and then iron it out. Not that you invent the idea on the business model canvas. So I would suggest they go through those. And then other thing I find really helpful is, you know, bounce that off someone else share that with someone else as an accountability because it becomes really hard to be your own accountable person to do everything on your own so make sure as much as you're following these frameworks and academia you have someone accountable as a mentor or someone to reflect against otherwise you will just get into this um, I forget the term but I think consulting field uh, the consulting uh, field is like litter with this like you have way too many business jargon or framework and you have actually not done anything <laughs> all you can do is oh, I'm, I'm a business model canvas oh i know my market i know my market sizing i know all of these things but the thing is have you talked to like anyone about it do you have have you like done any market validation no you, you know your market size but how do you know that if you don't know if anyone's going to buy your product right or not, right so in other words Don't go too deep into it. Otherwise, you will be a management consultant. (laughs) Nothing against consultants here. But otherwise, you will just have a very fleshed out business idea with no contact with the real world. So
0: talk to your friends about it quick. Try to get their honest opinion. And then see if anyone actually thinks it's a good idea and wants to use it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Makes sense. Well, thanks again.
1: No worries. Appreciate the time. Yeah. Hope you
0: have a conversation. Me too. Thanks again for tuning in to Can I Ask You a Question? If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you left a rating on iTunes or Google Podcasts or wherever you're listening from so that more people like you can discover it. Also, it'd be super helpful if you'd be willing to leave some feedback on any ideas you have for improving future conversations using the link in this episode's description. Thanks again and see you next time.